So it is time. The Jedi order to end. Time it is. For you to look past a pile of old books. The sacred Jedi texts. Ooh. Read them, have you? Well, on page turners, they were not. Yes, yes, yes. Wisdom they held, but that library contained nothing that the girl Ray does not already possess. Welcome to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Deep in the bowels of the frozen ice caverns of Hoth, our hosts, Carl Leclerc and Jason Hunt, discuss all things Star Wars. So join the conversation and hang out here in the Wampa's Lair. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 296, Jedi Sliding. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Luke Skywalker to my Qui-Gon Jinn, we have Carl LeClaire. Ho-ho! I want to be Qui-Gon, though. I'm quitting. <laughs> I'm going to call you... I make you Qui-Gon a lot. I'm going to be Qui-Gon. That's fine. That's fair. That's fair. Well, um, Jason, we're not alone in this episode because this episode isn't even brought to you by us. It is brought to you by our wonderful supporter on Patreon, the Jedi Master Yoda to our youngling Jedi Knights. We have the great Sartaj Singh. How you doing, Sartaj? I'm doing all right. Since this is a since I'm English, I was thinking I'd be the cranky British droid for the episode. <laughs> I mean, that works. That works for us, you know. <laughs> How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing all good. How about you two? It's never, a, never a bad day to discuss Star Wars, Sartaj. Oh, no, it isn't indeed. That is quite true. Um, what exactly are we talking about, though, today? Okay, so today's topic is, it seems quite appropriate, given that Episode 9 speculation is all rife at the moment. <laughs> but what lesson from the Jedi's past should Rey take on when forming a order? A Je- taking on a new Jedi order. I love it. This, this is going to be fun. So, <laughs> all right, well, how are we going to kick this off? Um, well, it's, well, really quick before we even formally kick it off, in case you might be a new listener or something and you're wondering what's going on. Um, so, well, yeah, we probably explained this. Yeah, we've, we've, we've probably talked about it in the past. But again, we, we have a Patreon page and um, one of the, the, the tiers of support is uh, we invite you to come on the show like Sartage. You create the topic and you essentially get to run the show with us. Um, and essentially, we're going to be putting most of this in Sartaj's lap because it's his idea. So if this is something you're interested in, um, you know, obviously, this is how we first met Katie. She was the first to do it. And then we had um, our friend Jim on in the past. Um, Sartaj is the, the, the next great contestant, I guess. Um, and what, what's amazing, before we even start, Sartaj has sent us consistently thoughtful and deeply intellectual emails 
around Star Wars um, for the past several years. So, Sartaj, I'm so glad that you're on because you have such a plethora of knowledge for Star Wars. And this is such an exciting topic. And I'm glad that you're going to break it down and we can just ride on the coattails because I feel like it's such a good topic that we need a mind like yours to help break it down. So, <laughs> I'm glad you're on. Uh, uh, my circuits are burning already. You know, you're already going to make my head explode. And the episode's just only begun. <laughs> This is just the beginning. <laughs> this, this is just the beginning. There <laughs> oh, you go. Um, but yeah, so just just to clarify, if, if this is something you'd be interested in doing, um, certainly check out our Patreon page for how you can do that. Um, so self, you know, selfish self promotion aside. Now, Sartaj, you've got a great topic here, um, and you know, it's essentially predicated on the reality that, it, you know, we learn in Last Jedi that Rey actually takes the sacred Jedi text. And, you know, you've got this great question then. So, okay, what does she preserve? So, why don't you, what do you think? What do you think is so, what would be the most quintessential thing for Rey to hold on to for a new Jedi Order? So, I've got an option. I've got a list of four things. And if we Love have it. time, then... <laughs> Two things, and they're they're undeveloped ideas. So you know they're really merely sketches as opposed to fully formed ideas. So the first is the virtues of old tradition. So I think when reviving an old reviving an order in this case, its foundation should partly be rooted in an old tradition or custom to give it legitimacy. And the reason for this is because you're retaining some semblance of identity of the past while also using it as a bridge for the future insofar as the custom can have value in of itself and be a mirror for contemporary society so in the context of ray forming a new jedi order there are already many symbolic totems that can be drawn upon for knowledge of specific customs so as carl just mentioned the ancient jedi text and then actually act two itself you know, being a secret, sacred place, although I don't think this was actually conveyed in The Last Jedi, but strongly suggested that it is indeed the first Jedi temple. So the old tradition I've looked at is actually the gathering from the Clone, from the Clone Wars um, yes. era. I, I, think, I think this is a great, you know, old tradition that should be preserved. So as outlined the, in season five of the Clone Wars, the gathering is a test for, budding, for a budding group of young Jedi. So involved on the slope, snowy planet of Ilum, younglings enter a cave and, find, and have to find their... Hello? Yeah. Hello? Oh, yeah, we're, we're listening. <laughs> we're listening. We're, we're, we're listening with rapt attention, Sartaj. <laughs> Okay, so on the snow plate, Ilum, younglings enter the cave to find their Jedi crystals before the sun sets, and this sheet of ice completely freezes over, which, you know, functions as the entrance. So within this, within these caves, they have to face their fears and insecurities. So, you know, the, one of the Wookiee characters, the young Wookiee character, is impatient, so he has to learn patience. And so I think the gathering is a wonderful rite of passage from childhood to adolescence. It's not only a test for overcoming personal hang-ups and flaws, but acknowledging them too. And I like how Dave Filoni and, and co have made the arc of constructing a lightsaber into a form of identity building, which is mm. a crucial aspect of 
adolescence experience because when you're a child you're imprinted with lots of things but you and you have this kind of peripheral awareness of what's being imprinted on you but it's not until you're a teenager that you start melding that identity and coming into your own as it were and i think that's important for any young jedi mm. that's fantastic yeah. I- I love that we went there first. Um, the, the gathering was was always one of my favorite um, arcs of the Clone Wars and everything. Um, that that episode in particular being just fascinating as far as you know Jedi lore and all that stuff. So I I love the idea that they they retain that sort of rite of passage. You know whether it looks the same as it did uh, in the gathering or not is it doesn't necessarily have to, but that, that sort of rite of passage that, you know, that, that tradition, that, that value being, bring, being brought forward would be fantastic. And I think it would be really awesome to start episode nine with Ray putting together her new lightsaber. Um, and so I think that would be, uh, definitely something that would be a good thing to, to, bring forward into Ray's new Jedi order. So, yeah, no, that's such a, that's such a great point that, um, you know, lightsaber construction has always been a quintessential part of being a Jedi. Um, and namely for the process and how one really acquires the Kyber crystal, like you were saying, Sartage, right? Like to have to go into this cave to face, you know, the, the parts of yourself that are most insecure, the things that you fear, then coming out on the other side. It's, it's more about, you know, knowing yourself. It's more a, a testament to, um, to who you are as a character than getting a weapon. Um, so I think that's a sen- – yeah, that's definitely an essential part of continuing um, in, into any history of the Jedi. Um, I really appreciate what you said, though, at the, at the top of this conversation, though, about how important it is that anything new that's derived from something old has to have some sense of foundation in what came before. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's the truth of the Jedi. I mean, Luke has some pretty strong indictments, right, of the Jedi Order in Last Jedi. Um, and in some ways they're credible in some ways i think he's just a very broken sad man um and they're not credible but all be that as it may whatever you're going to do to build something new you have to look at i mean the reality is is the jedi order up until phantom menace has existed for two thousand years plus preserving peace in, in the galaxy like that's a pretty darn long success rate, <laughs> you know. Um, they were doing something right, so you certainly need to to harness whatever they built themselves upon because it was a strong foundation. Um, and uh, for Ray to continue a new order, she's going to need to find what that was. Now, something, and, and and hopefully I won't do too much of this, but something that really disappointed me with Last Jedi. Um, is right the fact like I, I still don't I accept why Luke is there I still wish it was something different and in so far as um, and this goes back to before last Jedi came out and we you know do, did prediction shows and you know Jason you and I would talk a lot about how I always was hoping that Luke was on Octo trying to figure out what to do next right like he goes to the first Jedi temple to this place that's probably very strong with the force um, and he's seeking what to do next Um and like that's a piece of knowledge I wish he could have passed on to Ray, but the reality is, is he's just there to die. <laughs> um, and uh, 
But I would love it if we saw Ray go back to Octu to try to find whatever that piece might be. Um, although I don't know that you need to go to Octu. She might already have that now because she has the text. Right. But my rambling's done. But, <laughs> um, yeah. What else, I mean, what else is on your mind about this? Sartosh. I still think there's a semblance of identity that Ray has to form, as it were. So I, I just love this last image that Ryan Johnson leaves us with at the end of The Last Jedi, where essentially Ray's looking at, you know, two, uh, two parts of, you know, Luke's lightsaber. And I think practically speaking, she can fix them, but I almost think that image represents a metaphorical strife that she's going to have in nine, which is uniting, you know, two senses of the Jedi, the old and the new. Mm. So if the last Jedi kind of presented this idea of, you know, tearing down the past in, you know, in order for the futures to survive her conflict in nine possibly might be uniting the past and the present into a hopeful future. Yeah. Well, it, it also it, that image is also really important for her because it's going to force her to forge her own identity in all of this because she's very much been, you know, trying to. Uh, I don't know how to want to word this. Uh, she's very much been trying to be be guided be kind of uh directed through what's next she she's looking for for a purpose she's looking for uh direction and guidance as she looked for it in luke she looked for it in kylo and both of them failed her now she has to move forward on her own and and really you know stop looking back uh or for how to move forward, I think you know, and and not not to the extent that she um, abandons all of the the truths of of the past of the Jedi, but that she now has to forge her own identity and move forward in that as she begins to create a new order, uh, find her place in the Resistance, and find her place in the the end of this conflict. Uh, that we are having between the first order and the resistance. Yeah, and if you think about it, Ray is in Ray is the perfect character to be able to figure this out on her own because her entire life has been on her own, and she's figured everything out to this point. Right? She's figured out how to survive, you know, in a harsh place like Jakku. Um, she figured out how to use the Force in such a way to escape from Starkiller Base. Right? She's always been able to figure it out. Um. You know, and, you know, in my mind, it's because in a way she's just constantly attuned to the force, whether or not she knew it or not. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, again, she's the perfect character to continue that, because if anybody's going to make it on their own, it's going to be Ray. Um, And even though she'll probably have struggles, which makes sense, um, I could see somebody like, well, I mean, I don't know what capacity will have Leia in the movie. I mean, we know she's going to be in it, either Leia or probably Luke is a force ghost, you know, kind of encouraging her that like she can do this because of what she's already accomplished. Right. Like to like, that's good. I feel like good advice for Ray when she does 
you know, stumble or hit a roadblock. Um, good advice for somebody like her is like, whoa, look at look at who you are. Look at what you've already overcome. You will figure this out type of a thing. Yeah. I almost think her conflict in nine will come from her allegiance of to the Jedi to forming a new order and then her allegiance to the resistance. And I think this question's kind of permeated history. And I think George Lucas was certainly getting at it with the prequels, but this essentially, you know, if you think of the Jedi as a religion, then it's the, the ultimate question of, you know, how, how involved does the church get involved in the matters of the state? And I think Ray's conflict will be that balance because essentially she can do everything. And I think if the last Jedi was about her discovering, you know, you know, being a metaphor for burgeoning adolescence that, she has to rely on herself. She, you know, the truth is, you know, her parents really weren't there for her. And like, she was alone all, you know, all this time. Then there's almost like, what kind of balance does she have between, you know, helping the good of of this religion, this order versus the good in the resistance? That's I, I I wrote down a couple of notes, just uh, thoughts uh, for this too, and that's actually one of the things I I wrote down is that her new order should not be beholden to whatever the new republic is, the resistance. Um, it shouldn't be directed at the whims of the government. The government can definitely petition the Jedi and request the Jedi's assistance in certain matters, but I think there needs to be a level of autonomy uh, for the Jedi. Um, sort of outside of the official government um, for them to operate. Uh, if there's one thing we learn from the prequels is that getting involved in the bureaucracy uh, is definitely one of the ways that they fall. Um, and that, I think, is a lesson she should learn from the past uh, and not you know, repeat that in the future. So, yeah, I completely, completely agree with that, that there must always be a separation of church and state, right? To use, to use obviously our vernacular. Um, but that was what caused the downfall of the Jedi. Um, I mean, even as Luke points out to Ray, you know, at the height of their power, they let Sidious, you know, take over. Um, and it's because they were, you know, at the whims of a government and that's not the role of the Jedi, um, so I, I think it's important that Ray not align herself like you, like you've both already said. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't see that happening. Um, yeah, uh, I, Sartaj, you said you had four things. So I think we've, you know, we, we've only gotten to one. So I want to give you room for, for these other ones. Okay. So my number three is. So the lesson in quotes is don't be defined by failure, the legend of Luke Skywalker. So when I think moving forward, when Ray, you know, talks about the legend of Luke Skywalker, there are so many lessons to be gained from it. So one can spin it as a tall tale about compassion in the face of adversity or bravery against odds, you know, in the case of redeeming Vader and the battle of Yavin respectively. However, the most salient lesson, you know, to be gained from his legend is the value of failure. So in the aftermath of the inciting incident of Ben Solo, 
Luke chose to purely define himself as a failure, not only from the vantage point of training Leia's son, failing his students, but also being the part, part of the last of failed husk of a religion. So, in a sense, Luke took on the burden of failure of the Jedi and conflated it with his own failure. Mm. But then the irony is from this, all this is that he came to embrace failure and then use it as a means to die on his own terms and give the galaxy a last shred of hope. So I think Ray should look at this legend and almost look at it, you know, as much as for herself or as any aspiring student that she hopes to teach, that the failure of one or ten students should not mean that she defines herself as a failure, nor being part of an ancient order that that is purely defined as being prone to folly. Instead, she, she, she should learn from failure as opposed to being burdened by it. So, and I think this just speaks to a tendency, you know, in our larger culture of just wanting to hold on to venerated legends and face the truth of, you know, humanity. So, of, you know, respective legends, you know, humanity. So, good example is Arthurian legends. So, we only think of you know, when we think of King Arthur, like the sword in the stone, Camelot being this perfect vision of democracy, you know, chivalry, knighthood, as opposed to Arthur's failure to maintain the, his utopic kingdom due to human flaws and a very human situation, you know, with Lancelot, Guinevere, these very human feelings. And I think Ray should take, take stock in what she observed in The Last Jedi but also when spinning that yarn about the legend of Luke Skywalker, have his folly at, you know, front and center. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's an important part now of that legend, right? Um, to, to pass that on now without mentioning that part would be um, shortchanging the legend. Um, so I think that's, yeah, I mean, for anything to move forward, any sort of big institution to move forward, to evolve, to grow, is you can't do that without acknowledging your past mistakes. Um, so just quickly to dip into the world of religion, I think the, the Roman Catholic Church will still never be fully taken seriously until they do a really good, ample job of making amends and recompense for the outrageous sexual scandal, right, that ran through the church for decades, probably generations. Um, they've still never adequately uh, come to terms with that. And you can't grow if you can't come to terms with how you failed and failed miserably. Um, and uh, I think that's an important part for Ray's, whatever this future Jedi is going to be, is to understand the failure. But I really appreciate what you said, Sartaj, that, you know, but not to define yourself the failure, right? We, we're all going to inevitably fail and fall short because we're human. Um, and that's okay to acknowledge that and then grow from that. Um, you know, I, I, still very much, I still very much love the, the religious tradition I come from, even though I'm very well aware of the deep flaws that exist within it um, because I know there's more to it. And I think the same is true with Ray. Like even in that scene with Luke, you know, when he's talking about how the legacy of Jedi is failure, Ray just won't buy it because she, for whatever reason, and again, this, in my opinion, is not well developed. Um, 
but uh, for whatever reason, Ray tends to believe in some powerful legend of the Jedi. Don't know where it came from, considering she lived on Jakku her whole life. Um, but she just, you know, inherently believes in the goodness of it. She's very much like Luke, you know, when in, in A New Hope. Um, Mm -hmm. in the sense of just kind of this naive optimism. Um, She's not willing to um, just bail on it and say, oh, it's a failure, I'm done, Um, which in a way is kind of the easy decision, right? When you you have a failure, the easy decision is just walk away and then wallow in the failure, which is, you know, I think that's probably why a lot of people had issues with Luke as well is – this idea that Luke would wallow in failure um, doesn't seem very, you know, Luke Skywalker to them. Um, be that as it may, I Luke's going to fail because he's human. Um, and I think for Rey, she understands, though, that there's so much more to the Jedi than the mistakes they've made. And I think that's really great that the Jedi kind of the, the future Jedi needs someone with a mindset like that, with that forward way of thinking. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I just I, I really, really appreciate that point, though, Sartage, that like to define themselves purely as failures because of some mistakes is 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 foolhardy. And I don't think you're going to see Ray do that. Yeah. Well, and, and Yoda even, you know, chides Luke a bit, you know, when he shows up in Last Jedi, uh, telling him that, you know, failure is the greatest teacher of all. You know, I, I don't have the exact line for it, but, you know, he he, you know. He says that failure is the the greatest teacher, and, and that you have to be able to learn from it. Um, and and I think part of Luke's issue is that up until this point, he had known nothing but success, and you know there weren't really you know aside from you know when he was training, you know his failure at the cave, his first confrontation with Vader, but after that, for decades, I think. I don't think Luke knew anything really except success with the Jedi. And he had forgotten almost how to learn from failure. Um, but I do think, you know, we, Ray moving forward should definitely learn from the failures, not only of Luke Skywalker, but of the original Jedi order, because that's definitely something Luke was well aware of. Obviously he, he mentions it. Um, but I, I, I think, Ray needs to be able to uh, embrace a larger view of the failures of the Jedi. Um, so, uh, and and learn from that and move forward with that knowledge. Um, so, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. I have nothing to add to what you both said. Great. <laughs> what else is on your, what else are you thinking about then? Okay, so this next pick is sort of a cheat, but I've reconfigured it into a lesson that Ray could, you know, heed when forming a new Jedi Order. It's actually a quote that comes from Palpatine in Episode 3. Okay, so when in that scene in his office, when he reveals himself, you know, that saying, you know, my master taught me everything, even the nature of the dark side. And then Anakin asks him, like, you know, well, do you, you know the dark side? So he essentially says to Anakin, like, pleads with him and saying, if you wish to become a complete and wise leader, you must embrace a larger view of the Force. 
And while this is in the context of seducing Anakin to the dark side, I think Palpatine unintentionally, much to his chagrin and annoyance, I'm sure, does make a notable point. So the point is, when forming a Jedi Order, Rey should never allow the Jedi teachings to become dogmatic. Mm. Instead, Rey should use them as a point of contrast with the dark side and how one emphasizes patience, meditation, altruism for its vision of how to live. So in an interview with Kathleen Kennedy, George Lucas says that Star Wars is equally about the good and evil within our civil institutions as much as it's about the good and evil within us all. So with this in mind, the larger view of the Force should not be exclusively thought of how we gain understanding of ourselves through the Force, but instead how we, how we can use it to help others. The personal and the social should be in perfect harmony. This is where the balance must be highlighted and achieved. Yeah. Hmm. I like that. So uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, the, the balance between the personal and the social. Do you think here, – here's a question that popped to my head. Do you think the Jedi should then, you know, have a central temple or do you think they should have multiple temples like they ended up with uh, during the old expanded universe? Um, you know, some here, some there. It's more spread out throughout the galaxy like that. Or does that even or, – or should they even have a temple? Should they be more uh, nomadic like uh, wandering samurai or something? I would think they'd be, they should be like wandering samurai because the problem with having a central place whether or multiple – places is that i think then i almost think you can become dogmatic with that in the sense that you have to go to this temple to convene or be your absolute best it's like saying it's like saying you you must go to the church as it were as opposed to saying that you know god or you know whatever entity or you call god it, it, you know, is not all around you. So I almost do think wandering samurai is actually a better idea because that preaches to preaches and says that you can do good wherever you are. You don't need to be in some temple. You don't need the idols to worship or to carry out the you know the will of the Jedi. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I th- I've been thinking a lot about, um, and I, I I definitely want to think more about this to essentially talk about it some future date um but thinking a lot about you know um i I really think most specifically last jedi because force awakens um didn't do this all that much but last jedi right it's it's the first new star wars movie that really has some kind of powerful new statements about the world we live in and obviously that's part of what people didn't like um but be that as it may I think Last Jedi is also trying to say something about, you know, the spirituality of the Force and the Jedi. Um, and to me, it's it's very responsive to the spiritual religious world that at least Western culture finds itself in today. Um, and, and that is, you know, like the idea of being spiritual, not religious. And, um, you know, it, it, so as a student of religion and theology, I, I do find an inherent issue with that statement because it's foolhardy. Um, you can't be spiritual and not religious, in my opinion. Um, and because I also don't think most people understand what religion means. Um, but be that as it may, you know, I, 
I'm really curious, though, what because this is trying to tell us something about the spirituality of the Force and the Jedi. Um, and I think there there's some good things to glean, but I also think that it's sadly a product of our times and as in and, and kind of getting things wrong. Um, so I don't so and I'm not saying like you're wrong. I disagree with you, Sartage, but I don't know that I would agree that wandering Jedi is the way to go. Um, because I think that that makes it, if, if everything, if everything is okay, if anything goes and there is no centrality, then what makes one a Jedi? What makes it a Jedi religion? Right. So like, um, I'm saying that is obviously a product of, of who I am and what I study and what I'm interested in. Um, so I'm thinking of this kind of in both the secular and a star Wars way, but even in Star Wars, can can such a thing as wandering Jedi exist and be sustainable? My response would be no, um, because I think the problem with that then is again, if if the uh, if the Jedi are just simply people that use the Force who wander, um, what then makes one a Jedi? So I don't know. I, I again, this is just these are just me. This is me literally thinking out loud. Um, I don't think I'm right and others are necessarily wrong. It's just something I think that is it's just a great question at the end of the day. Um, you know, the, the, and I love that you started the episode by mentioning the gathering. The gathering in, from the Clone Wars is the only time we're ever told a definition of what a Jedi is. And if you remember, Yoda says... Um, the force made visible a Jedi is. I have always, I mean, I love that line. It's so good. It's the only time when a, the word Jedi is defined by a master Jedi, right? So in some ways, that's what a Jedi is. They make the force visible. So can wandering Jedi exist? Yeah, I guess they could. So here I am disagreeing with myself again. I don't know. <laughs> I just, I love this question that you've, that you've brought up, Sartaj. Thank you. And you do, you do make a good point about centralizing a centralized place where, you know, for for the rightness of, you know, the doctrine that the Jedi go over and, you know, almost, you could almost treat Acto like that. Like that is the one spiritual core that everyone will go back to, mm. you know, just to contradict myself. What, it's Star Wars Mecca, right? Yeah, it is Star Wars Mecca. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way of putting it. Well, they... And I, I'm still, you know, this is all me thinking out loud here, but I, I think perhaps if there was some sort of centralized temple where a, a leadership of the Jedi were, because I, I think I think eventually, and I, obviously this won't happen immediately because there's only Rey at this point, right. uh, but I think eventually the Jedi, whatever Jedi order she creates, should have some sort of governing council. Um, it doesn't have to look exactly like it did in the, the prequel era, but I think there should be some sort of... of, of leadership to it to ensure that you know everyone is is behaving the way a jedi should you know that not necessarily you know as as you know attitude police but you know that, that i've become the, more powerful the, than any jedi right uh but that the the co the 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 core of what a jedi is is being followed and being uh shown to you know to the galaxy at large uh, but I think if there is some sort of central leadership um, and they have a sort of central location, it should not be on a capital world. It should be somewhere mm. far away yeah. um, in a very secluded uh, place that's full of the force, 
you know, like an Ilum, like, you know, I, I don't know. But um, I'm putting my vote in for Dagobah now. <laughs> I, I, I was <laughs> deliberately not mentioning Dagobah. I noticed. Um, I was helping you out. <laughs> it's on Dagobah. But, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I would not set foot on Dagobah if I could help it. Um, but I, I do think that it should be a very humble sort of thing, uh, something that uh, – the the Jedi at large sort of come in and out of you know they 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 touch back you know in base and then they go out and they they it, it should sort of be a, a I think a mix of a, a centralized you know Jedi order like we had in the prequels mixed with the wandering samurai ideal um, and that Jedi should be you know sent out for a period of time to you know, follow the the living force, the will of the force to assist and to, you know, help people. Uh, but they always should, you know, be able to come back in and refresh and recenter um, where this, this central location is. So, because if you're always out doing things and helping people, there are, you know, you get influenced by other stuff and you need a place to, you know, sort of refresh, recenter, and return to what a Jedi truly is. So so I just had a really random connection, and it's very random. Have either of you ever seen the show Burn Notice? Yes. No, I haven't. Okay. Uh, so just really quick, just a quick – so the show is essentially about like a, a covert agent that works for the United States government. At the beginning of the series, he gets burned by the, the agency, so he has to kind of go rogue. And essentially the show follows him doing like nice little deeds for people, right? Like he uses the skills he's acquired as years as like a special agent to help the little man, right? Like to help the people on the streets. But then there's obviously this overarching storyline of him trying to get back in with the agency. So it's kind of this idea of there's an importance of being on the street level, right? The ground level, like helping, helping the kind of nameless people. But there's also an importance to be connected to something bigger so that you can have even a larger effect, right? So that's why he wants to get back into the bigger game is because he feels like he'll have a larger effect. And um, I only use that analogy to th- just think about this conversation we're having right now about the f- the, you know, this future of the Jedi. And, and, I, and I think it is an, it's an important part to have, like you said, Jason, some sort of ruling council to essentially um, you know – Check off a list like, OK, where where are we needed next? OK, we can send some knights there. Um, I mean, and that's I think in its purity, that's what the Jedi Council was in the era, the era of the prequels. But it just it, it allowed itself specifically, though, to be fair. Right. If you watch Phantom Menace, I do not get the impression that they are as directly under the auspice of the Republic in Phantom Menace. It becomes more and more so. I mean, again, if you watch Clone Wars, if you watch Revenge of the Sith, because Palpatine is slowly taking over that council. He's slowly putting his foot in there and marrying them more and more to government and then using that to, like, you know, lambast them as well. Um, he's a smart dude, Mr. Palpatine. Um, yes, he <laughs> is. And, uh, but yeah, I think it's an important aspect that they still have some level of guiding council that recognizes where is the deepest need. Okay, this is where we'll send the Jedi next. Um, yeah, so uh, 
Yeah, I mean, this is, and obviously, I think this is looking very long term because, like you said, Sartash, I mean, it's just Ray right now, <laughs> so um, we're looking pretty long term. But what what else? You were, you know, you have a few more tenants. I know that you, that you found to be important. What 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 do you got next? Okay, so this is probably the most obvious one. It is my number one, but the most important lesson that Ray should take when forming a new Jedi Order is is just the central mantra. The Jedi uses force for knowledge and defense, never attack. This is the essential truism of the Jedi and what should be heeded when forming a new order. However, my, when I've thought about it, it's, it's often come with the question of how this mantra should be taught. Mm-hmm. And I think to this end, you know, like we've alluded to earlier and been talking about the fall of the Jedi during the prequel era, that almost I think this lesson should be framed as a sort of parable using the prequel era as a jumping off point, you know, as a cautionary tale yeah. into what happens, you know, when you step away from this, because I, you know, you know, the Jedi got more and more involved with mundane matters of the Republic, long and grueling wars, the civil war, the clone wars. And as they just stepped away from this, I think the combination with, Almost the force itself was like detecting that they were not channeling the force for the right way. So they almost like gave it almost gave more power to Sidious, as it were, and he was able to manipulate them. And so their their ability to see in the force became diminished. And you know the fog of war, which was the Clone Wars, essentially clouded their uh, their vision and original purpose. So you know Mace Windu says it quite perfectly. The beginning of episode two, we're keepers of the peace, not soldiers. Mm. You know, uh, man, Sartaj, you're such a oh, your mind is just so brilliant. Um, <laughs> I love this idea though of like, how do we take this lesson like as a central mantra and then create a parable around it? And the prequel certainly will serve as such a great cautionary tale. But what I'm also thinking, the perfect parable for that mantra is what Luke does at the end of Last Jedi. He uses his knowledge of the force for the defense of the resistance. He doesn't use it to attack, like literally, right? He, what, whatever he, I mean, he obviously got so darn powerful in the force that he learned how to do a pretty intense force projection to the extent that he could, you know, maintain it for a long period of time. Um, so he's literally using the force for knowledge and defense, literally doesn't use anything to attack. Um, so I'm, I feel like that would be such a great parable to illustrate that mantra. Yeah. And also during that, during that significant confrontation with Kylo Ren, he's also using the confrontation to impart knowledge, mm. which is like a, almost like a declaration that I will not be the last Jedi, but I, you know, I'm going to pass it to Ray. That's the knowledge that he's imparting. And I just, I just love like, and, you know, this is going off slightly, slightly off tangent, but, you know, Ryan Johnson gets a lot of grief for not looking at, you know, Luke, not, not looking at Luke in the original trilogy and just, you know, seeing his character arc in eight as like not a logical jumping off point. But the more I think about it, the more I just do think that he did look at the, you know, the original trilogy and just honed into those elements that were already there and just gave, you know, 
put flesh on those bones, as it were. And I think this is one of those clear cases, you know, just with, you know, between what you and I have said about that confrontation. Yeah, uh, it is. It is by far my favorite part of of the Last Jedi. You know, I, I, there are definitely a lot of different elements I love in the Last Jedi, but in his, you know, walking out to face down the First Order and his confrontation with Kylo Ren, that is, you know, definitely what we all wanted going into the last Jedi. He just had a journey to get back to that point. You know, this is who Luke was before um, his failure with, with Ben, you know, or maybe, maybe not quite to this point, but he, he was, you know, nearing this sort of level when, when he had his failure with Ben and then he exiled himself because he felt like he was going to be doing more harm than good. And we finally got back to the point where he's able to forgive himself, move forward, and really become what we all wanted to see with, you know, a Grandmaster Luke Skywalker kicking butt, kicking butt and taking names, even though he did no aggressive action whatsoever. You know, that that whole sequence is possibly the most powerful thing we've ever seen a Jedi do on screen. And um, you're right. I don't know. It's all done. Let's, let's not jump to conclusions. We did see Anakin levitate a peach. So let's, <laughs> not go jump, let's not go getting crazy here, Jason. <laughs> Master Kenobi saw me doing this. He'd be very grumpy. Um, yeah, he would. He'd, probably, he'd force locate and spank you if he could, but he can't. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, times are heavy. Really, really heavy. Sartosh, you have a a way of bringing such intellectual delight, and then I have a great way of just being a dummy. (laughs) Oh, quite all right. I I think I'm a bit too stuck up for my own good, so good good jiggle now and then is good. Um, That's a word I just made up, by the way. So I, I can... I can... Lower the conversation just as much as you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's oh, I I really, uh, yeah, like I'm just like sinking my brain. It's it's all mossy now. It's so like percolating with thoughts. Thanks to you, Sartage, about you know that is a central mantra of the Jedi that you know the Jedi. Um, Use the force for knowledge and defense, never for attack. But I'm also thinking, and to me, this is always the core statement to me in in Empire Strikes Back for Luke's training is that um, a Jedi strength flows from the force. Um, In a way, I think that needs to be a central part of the Jedi code as well. And I also think a lot about, you know, the scene when Luke gives Rey her first lesson which to me is the most overt training he does for her, really. You know, I mean, everything else, like, lesson two is essentially a history lesson. Um, mm-hmm. But lesson one is is more than just a lesson. It's, it is actually a sense of training. And in a way, it is his, it's him passing on to her that a Jedi strength flows from the Force, even though he thinks the Jedi must end. But it, essentially, he's showing her how to connect with the Force because that's where her strength will come from, just as it did for him. Um, so I think that's a very central part of continuing as Jedi is essentially training future Jedi how to simply be 
in communion with the force. And I really feel like that's that's really what Yoda's teaching Luke. Luke, just like Rey, just has like this innately strong ability with the force. Right. Just like Anakin did. Now his son does. And, and now Ray does. Right. So like, you know, all the people, oh, Ray needs more extensive training. Well, I don't know that she does. Like she's kind of got everything there. She just needs something to, you know, target that target that innate ability a little bit more. Um, but what I'm thinking is that, you know, um, for Ray, she knows now the importance of trusting the force. You know, and just just innately, and I think that's the that's the most powerful message in Empire Strikes Back, and I think kind of like we've been talking about, what's going to be more important for the future of the Jedi isn't dogma, but it's communion with the Force. Um, that's essentially what Yoda and Obi Wan, that's their missions when they go into exile, is to build up a stronger communion with the Force. I mean, and it becomes so darn strong that they learn how to find eternal life, right? Like. Um, they find Jedi redemption, if you will. Um, so, and that and that just goes all the way back to to Qui Gon and his yeah. pursuit of the Living Force. You know, that it, it, you know, following the will of the Force. You know, is is something that he will do. You know, to the you know to any extent. You know, that that's something that he will do to the opposition of orders from the Jedi Council, if need be. You know, I will do what I must, Obi Wan, um, and and he is driven by the living force, and I think that you know he is very much in communion with that, uh, which is you know going back to, and, he, and he's who teaches Obi Wan and Yoda while they are in exile, and so this you know everything ends back at Qui Gon eventually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To use a philosophy analogy, um, Qui-Gon's almost, um, Aristotle referred to God in his, you know, metaphysical scheme of the world as the prime mover. Everything always comes back to the prime mover, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what else were you, did we, did you hit all four of your, your points? Uh, yes, I have. Oh. The the, other, the others, you know, were very scared. I mean, with my first point, I literally got this in my notes, but I, I think it's kind of... So I've really been into Norse mythology recently, and, and I was just trying to draw parallels between Ragnarok from Norse mythology and the fall of the Jedi, and I just couldn't come up with anything. So, you know, that's a peek behind the curtain, as it were. You know, like, mine's always spinning. <laughs> Well, that's oh man, that would be interesting. Huh. Yeah, it would. I have to think about that one. Um, did you yeah. have any any? Did it, either of you have any other points you wanted to bring up? I mean, Sartaj kind of painted them all perfectly. So, all shot, shot. I I I I I cannot take any more of this. My my head's going to become like a balloon, and it's going to pop very soon. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, you, you're just you're just about bith sized right now. Um, your head's just about, <laughs> it's a bith. It's a bith. Um, but uh, I, I, I had one little thing I wanted to um, add, and it, I, this is just sort of a practical thing. Um, I think that that Ray can take forward. I think the you know, and I I don't see why it wouldn't be moving forward uh, with the Jedi Order, but I think the the whole 
master apprentice relationship mm. definitely needs mm. to be um, included in whatever new Jedi order there is, because that's, you know, that you get into the, the personal relationships between people and, you know, get really into the, the focal, the focused one-on-one training um, that a Jedi Jedi needs. So, um, I, I don't know. I just wanted to make sure I wanted to, I, I wanted to say that, you know, I don't see why it wouldn't be, you know, moved, brought forward into whatever, Ray's new Jedi is going to be, but I think that is definitely a, a key aspect, and I think something that could take a, a larger uh, role in whatever her Jedi order would be um, than it was in the uh, the old Jedi order, because the old Jedi order was more focused around the um, the code and the council. Uh, but I think the master apprentice relationships could take a more prominent position. Um, moving forward. The code forbids it. <laughs> Shut up, Mace. <laughs> um, I was I'm, waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, oh, when's an opportunity Carl's going to dig into Mace Windu? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> was, all right. I'm just wondering if you ever... if you ever had the unfortunate pleasure of interviewing Samuel Jackson, whether you'll di- do a Big up Mace during that interview. Oh man, I, I mean, it'd be Samuel L. Jackson. So I just want to talk to him about snakes on a plane. Um, <laughs> it's like his one redeeming movie. Um, but uh, yeah, no, you know, that's an. That I, I, I definitely agree, Jason. That there's there needs to be that continuation of a master apprentice relationship. Um, but if you think about it with Luke, and again, this is stuff that we will. I'm sure we will we will learn this stuff, if not in its entirety in Episode Nine. Um, we'll at least get some level of this in Episode Nine, and then obviously it'll get flushed out in ancillary material. But we also need to know what Luke's academy looked like. How did he structure it? What did it look like? What was his purpose for it? Right? I mean, we we have lots of little pieces right now, you know, from from comics and from some of the novels. Like we can start putting pieces together, but there's still not like a central story there. That allows us to build on that, right? So Luke's failure, Luke's personal failure, right, um, was that night he goes into the tent and is, you know, tempted for a brief moment by the dark side, which, again, is very Luke Skywalker. Like, for all the people, like, he was going to murder his nephew. Did I just want to say, did you watch the damn movie? Because that's not what he was going to do. <laughs> um, he thought about it for, like, a second, but it was a second too long. Um, and that is certainly not out of character for Luke. Um so I just want to be very clear about that because I, I don't think that's a bad story point at all. I think it's a very brilliant one. Um, and uh, But, you know, we don't know how he structured that. And most likely, Luke, I mean, he, when he's telling Ray about it, he says, I took a dozen students. Um, so does that mean he was teaching them all at once? Right. Like if, if you think back to the, you know, obviously the legends canon of when he started his Jedi Academy, he's essentially teaching like about a dozen to 15 students on his own. Right. And then eventually he gets to the point where he can have that master apprentice stuff, which again, that would take time because you're going to need other Jedi masters. Um, but what I'm really curious about with his Academy is, um, how much did it grow? Because, again, I, I was watching Last Jedi the other day, and I paused it. Um, this sounds super morbid. But I paused it, you know, the scene where he's kneeling in front of the burning temple, and there's the dead bodies. 
And I was trying to get a body count, so I actually started counting. And there's there's a good number of bodies just in that that frame. Now, does that mean they were all Jedi learners? We don't know. Most likely they were, though. So my guess is he's had that academy around long enough that he has more than just the initial dozen students. Um, I want to know more about that. I want to know, you know, um, how he structured that and what, again, his purpose was. Now, a question I have for the two of you, and again, this is kind of being informed by the old Legends canon, but right in the Legends canon, Luke got rid of the, the whole no, mar- right? like, no marriage for a Jedi. And it's very clear, like when, by the time you get to the new Jedi Order book series, pretty much every Jedi and their mother has a, you know, has a wife or a husband and children. <laughs> you know, it's no, that's certainly a thing of the past. Um, so let's think about that tenant of no attachment. Can you, should that still be included in the future Jedi? Should what that means look differently, right? Like non-attachment um, doesn't not mean you can't have a, like a spouse. I don't know. So what do you guys think of that? What do you think about that moving forward? Um, do you think that's something that needs to change face for the Jedi? What do you think, Sartaj? Oh, you re- that's a very good question. You brought me off guard. I'm probably going to give a very, very dumb answer. So, <laughs> It won't be any dumber than mine. Um. <laughs> oh, believe me, I can be pretty dumb, and that's without alcohol. <laughs> Jason's uh, like, uh, I think everybody should just have a jar jar. I'm like, Jason, that doesn't, uh, well, that doesn't work. Yes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 which, but which form of jar jar? I mean, did cuddly toy... That tongue thingy that you used to twist. <laughs> uh, I they I, I I want the the cuddly you know stuffed toy with the you squeeze his stomach and the tongue shoots out and I had one of those as a kid. Anyways, um, I'm waiting for Disney to sell them again. Doctor <laughs> right. will be back in the Disney store. <laughs> yes. Um, Sartaj, if, if you want a moment to think, I'll go ahead and, and give yeah, my please. semblance of an answer. Yeah, please do. Um, I I honestly don't know um, if the, the no attachments thing should continue. I will say I am very skeptical of Ray getting involved in any sort of um, romantic attachment by the end of episode nine. Um, I think her focus is going to shift, uh, dramatically and that she will, you know, not, I don't think she'll be getting involved with anybody, whether it's Finn or Kylo or Poe or anything like that. I I don't think she will have any sort of romantic relationship. Um, that being said, I don't necessarily know if she would, institute the you know no attachments thing because she is very attached to these people um insofar as they are friends you know they they are very important people to her finn and poe and and leia and all of that um so it's a very it's a very interesting and, and 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 difficult you know thing to to think of moving forward because ultimately this is the this is the sticking point that really began to lead towards anakin's fall to the dark side um and it's definitely something that if you have attachments they can be used against you by someone you know who is you know using the dark side you know they, they can be manipulated and that sort of thing 
Um, so it's a very tricky thing. You know, maybe they're the ideas are relaxed somewhat, but not necessarily completely gotten rid of. I don't know what that would look like exactly. Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know. But I, I do think that, you know, that Ray is probably going to be on a completely different path from anybody else by the end of episode nine and therefore not attached in a romantic sense to anyone moving forward. Yeah. I just want to pick up on a point that you made, Jason, about, you know, attachment of friendships. And this may be, you know, very, very dumb way of looking at it. But usually the thing people say about their respective other is that they are my best friend Mm. in, in a sense. So I'm just thinking if you can still have, friendship as attachments i don't see why at least in that context you can't have a significant other i mean that that may be you know like a dumb way of thinking of it but i i and you know too much of our real world impinging upon you know star wars which depending on whether you know you like that or not is a good or bad thing that's a, that is a good point, though, because that's what my my parents say, you know, that they, they, they married their best friend, you know, so that, it, that's a good point. Um, and obviously, Anakin and Obi-Wan are very good friends by the end of the Clone Wars before Anakin turns to the dark side. So, you know, it, um, that's a it's a very interesting element to add into this whole conversation. Carl, do you have anything you want to? Say on this? I mean, I, I, I think that's a really good – it's not dumb at all, Sartage. The, the point you make is actually quite brilliant because um, it allows you to say, all right, well, the Jedi in some ways have always had attachments, right? I mean, if nothing else, they're attached to their dogma. They're attached to their doctrines. They're attached to one another. Um, and they're certainly allowed friendships. Um, the But I think this concept of non-attachment is more about – you can you can have relationships, but non-attachment means that you can't become obsessed with them, right? And that's and at the end of the day, that keeps you safe from any sort of um, unhealthy relationship anyway, whether it's platonic or romantic, right? If you are friends with somebody, but you're super jealous of every other friend they hang out with or whatever, it's going to be just as destructive as if you had a significant other who you're always jealous and, and, and obsessive over. They're both destructive, um, but uh, non-attachment is actually, you know, it's not an inherently bad thing. It's essentially preaching, I think, f- from the Jedi mindset of your only attachment should be the, the will of the force. Everything else should serve that insofar that it can. And when it no longer does, being able to just l- move on and walk away, which is clearly something Anakin can't do. Um, but Obi-Wan clearly has very healthy relationships. And I think Obi-Wan Kenobi, like if he, if he were allowed to and he had actually married Satine and was allowed to also remain a Jedi, I think he would have been a better Jedi had he been married to Satine. Um, so, you know, that's the difference. Um, Anakin it, probably wouldn't have fallen if he was allowed to have a public relationship with Padme. Um, 
to be fair, Anakin's not the best romantic partner because he is quite jealous and quite obsessive. But be that as it may, hiding everything doesn't help. Um, yeah. So I think – no, go ahead, Jason. It, it comes back to, I think, a line Yoda said in um, Revenge of the Sith. You know, you, you must train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. You know, it, it's – the the relationships and the friendships can be there. But you have to be willing to let them go when the, if necessary. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think – you know, you, you could take what Yoda says there to mean, oh, let them go, as in get rid of them. And I don't think that's what he's saying. It's more of just saying, like you said, Jason, it's this point of if they're no longer, um, you know, serving who you are in the will of the force, then you have to be OK with walking away from them for whatever reason. Um, so I do think that they can have a future of the Jedi where non-attachment still exists but not at the detriment of having life-giving relationships which could be both romantic and platonic um so i think your point actually sartaj opened that door quite quite well of if indeed a romantic partner isn't is is a best friend which all i think i think all the best ones are um then is it really that hard of that much further of a step to say, well, the Jedi don't disallow friendship. Well, why not take this one step further and allow for something like this? So I think that's actually a really good point. Thank you. Um, to go back to, you know, you got this from legends. Um, if memory serves, there was a Jedi in the Jedi council who was actually married. I think it's Carly Mundi. Yeah, I, I, Mundi during Legends, they uh, they married him um, in the comics because his species was such that you know that he got an exception, so to speak, because his species is such a you know the the uh, birth rate of males was much much lower than females, and so that's why he was allowed to marry. Um, but that's that's the only exception uh, for the prequel Jedi. Um, that I can remember. Well, sadly, humans don't have that excuse. Mm, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, I think it's obviously, I think it is obviously possible for, for that to happen in the future of the Jedi. Um, and, you know, thinking about this, obviously, like you predicated all of this episode on, Sartaj, which thinking about this in the context of Ray, Ray is somebody who has found a richer life because of her relationships already. I mean, most notably in Force Awakens, right? Finn, Han, Chewie, even Leia, right? Like all of these people have given her something, have added something to her life that she would have never had before. And she's a better person for it. So, you know, I think. For Ray, relationships are going to be a quintessential part of being a Jedi. So, yeah, yeah, not necessarily romantic, but definitely you know those those friendships and those you know human connections, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> human. I'd, uh, I'd be being connections. Yeah, I'd be fine with if Ray wanted to marry me. I mean, I don't care. 
I'm available. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Leclerc. Hello, Hello Mr. Abrams. <laughs> oh, I was waiting for this as well. <laughs> That's all I could think about when they announced that, that shooting had started the other week. I was like, oh, you know what she walked onto set and said? Hello, Mr. Abrams. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Abrams. Oh, my God. I'm buzzing in the Felicity Jones camp. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Miss uh, Edwards. <laughs> oh, you are actually British, so you can you don't have to do like our stupid fake accents, Sartage. You could just say thank you, Mr. Abrams. You don't have to pretend. Unless <laughs> <laughs> I was doing something regional or something. Or or maybe I can do it in a very Shakespearean manner. Yeah, that that's also possible. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, well, do we, we have any anything else that we wanted to bring up on this topic? You know, the I think I've exhausted my my list of things. Yeah, I I I mean I've appreciated that Sartosh had so much great stuff to say that I could just kind of piggyback on. <laughs> I mean the only other point I had again this is like peeking behind the curtain as it were. But this theme of symbiosis in Phantom Menace really resonated with me ever since I first watched it, not only on a mm. micro level with with what's going on between what George explained with the midichlorians being mediums as in communicating with the force and almost like I've been rereading the uh, making of Phantom Menace recently and George says something to the effect that on a cellular level the theme of symbiosis carries on because um, Anakin gains certain knowledge and draws upon the force by the midichlorians, and the midichlorians rely on Anakin for survival. So there is almost this symbiosis. But my my only thing is that's so context-dependent upon what's going on in The Phantom Menace that I really couldn't link it to, you know, Ray's current plight, mm. other than to say, you know, I was thinking, have you, have you gents seen the... Um, deleted scene where she's running to save the village yeah 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 i was almost thinking of like linking it into that like you know this idea of escalation but nothing nothing really was coming up for me i couldn't really find a spark so to speak yeah well although i mean your your point about anakin in the in the context of phantom menace i think could easily work for ray and force awakens right you know, if Luke's or if Luke Anakin's drawing on the Force to survive on Tatooine, isn't Rey doing the same thing on Jakku? Unless I, I might have misunderstood what you were saying. Uh, I, I was just rambling, so I. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the the idea of, of the symbiosis, um, you know, that you can extrapolate that, you know, you know, obviously with the the whole idea of the Medichlorians and, you know, letting people be able to tap into the force because of them and they survive, you know, in cellular level, you know, because we, you know, we're living, um, that sort of thing. But you can also expand that, extrapolate that out into, you know, symbiotic relationships with um, each other, with symbiotic relationships with uh, perhaps a government, you know, not necessarily beholden to a government, but, you know, a symbiotic relationship where you can assist and 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 help each other um you know you can and i'm i'm spitballing here you know thinking out loud but you know you, you can 
definitely extrapolate that into bigger contexts than just, you know, the, the, the microcellular level of the Medichlorians. Um, and you can, you know, take that moving forward in many different ways. Yeah. And that's why I put it out there. Cause I knew either of you two would piggyback off that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, Sartage, any is is there anything else we may have missed or or that you wanted to bring up um, before we wrap this up? I just wanted to go back to Jason's point about you know Ray and the importance of the the apprentice and master relationship. Mm. I almost think with what she's gone through in the Force Awakens and the Last Jedi, that that aspect of the Jedi Order is going to be preserved just from a personal point of view because she essentially went to Luke to understand the power that was stirring within her and to gain an understand you know, gain an understanding of it and what to do with it essentially. And as we alluded to earlier, you know, like Luke failed her in that regard and Kylo did as well. So I, I almost think like in nine she will go off and try to just gain, just help help you know younglings or whoever she finds to gain an understanding of this sense of growing power within themselves, and that's how she will approach it. She'll almost like you know be overly cautious in that regard because no one was there for her to understand this burgeoning power, but she will be there for others. In that regard, yeah. That's well, I think point. I think that's going to be you know her. I think that's going to be her story overall in a large sense because no one was there for her when she was growing up. You know, she was abandoned, left on Jakku um, as at a, at a young age had to rely on Unkar Plut of all beings ugh, uh, <laughs> to to survive in some cases, but. Uh, you know, no one was there for her, and yet she's this very good-hearted person who, you know, immediately jumps in to help BB-8, you know, when she sees him. Uh, you know, she's obviously going to, you know, try and help out whoever she can. And so I think you're right. You know, she will be overly cautious when it comes to making sure that people get the support, get the, you know, the help and the the things that they need. Um because that's been sort of her story thus far is that she didn't have that and she doesn't want to have that happen to other people. So it's a good point. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's going to, all of our minds are just so full of thoughts now, which are great because now we can all continue to go away from this. Thanks to Sartage and continue to break down where we think the, the, the Jedi are going to go next. So, um, Sartaj, thank you so much for this topic. It was so much fun to talk about. Yes. I... Thank, thank you, Jen, for the discussion. It was very illuminating. You gave me plenty of food for thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, before before we uh, officially wrap up, as always, we we love to give folks an opportunity to to talk to whoever's guest on the show. And Sartaj, you've done a great job of writing so many wonderful um, 
you know, film reviews for the, the most recent of the Star Wars movies. Um, and I know we've shared some of them, but if folks want to follow just any of the other stuff that you're up to, where can they do that? Okay, so they can, my main website, which is a WordPress blog, is sgsonfilm.net. There haven't been a couple of, there haven't been any reviews in the last couple of weeks, but I will be returning in a sense to write some more reviews. It's just been a busy period recently. And they can find me on Twitter at. He's looking up his username, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) The magic of awkward silences. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And they can find me on Twitter at Sartaj Gorvin Sin. So Gorvind is uh, my first name is S-A-R-T-A-J and Gorvind is G-O-V-I-N-D. Great. And we'll, uh, we'll share your website um, link in the show notes too for folks when they download the episode. So you can find his blog easily that way. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, um, go ahead, Carl. No, I was just going to thank him again. So, Sartosh, thank you again for being on the show. Not only like for supporting the show so generously on Patreon, which, again, we really appreciate, but more than that, just bringing this great topic um, to talk about. And uh, just, yeah, thank you for being on and taking the time to do this with us. And uh, thank you, gents, you know, for having me on. I think, you know... If you don't mind, your head's being inflated for a minute. Oh, oh go ahead, please. <laughs> yeah. I, I think your podcast is great because I can really see how you grapple with Star Wars through your own individual perspectives and prisms, and that's always a joy and a pleasure to listen to every week. But then I think also with your humor and, you know, tangent you captured the essence of what it's like to be a star wars fan and i think you know i don't don't want to speak for anyone but i'm sure the alarians will agree that that's what we need right now you know we live in quite a disenfranchised time in many regards and to quote star wars itself although i'm probably gonna get this line wrong but your podcast is the spark that will light the fire to burn the first order down. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't sound right. <laughs> no, I love that's, it. It's perfect. That's the, that's the that's line. The line. <laughs> that's that's the line. That's the line. So, well, thank you, uh, thank you, Sartaj. That's that's very kind of you to say. And, and yes, my head is getting inflated, and my cheeks are turning red because he's drunk. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> <he's been> <laughs> Oh, it's only afternoon. <laughs> yeah, it's only no, like one no. o'clock where Jason is. Jeez, Jason. Oh, it's, it's, I'm not that. Jason's like, well, it's five o'clock somewhere. Sartage, it's like the middle of the night. <laughs> um, no, but thank you so much for, for saying that, Sartage. I, that, that really does mean a lot. And, um, you know, whenever I think of, because there's so many good Star Wars podcasts. And if you're listening to us, I'm sure you listen to others and you know this from your own experience. Um but I, I mean, you're you're just so darn smart. <laughs> I appreciate the way you put it. That obviously, yeah, like we can only talk about Star Wars through the context of what we experience in life, and then of course we just love to have a good time. 
Um, yes. Except for when Jason's like, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. That's not what this podcast is supposed to be. It's not. It's, I'm kidding. Jason, I'm kidding. it's not the north or the south side. No, it's not. It's not the east or the west side. No, it's not. It's the dark side. You are correct. <laughs> to be continued. Oh, perhaps. Well, I could listen to this all night. <laughs> Um, no, Sartosh, thank you so much, though, for for setting up the time to do this with us and um, coordinating it all with us, which is certainly crazy when you've got three different time zones involved. Um, yes, but time zones across two continents and an ocean. Um, right. So. Yeah. But, did it without a TARDIS. <laughs> but, oh, and, and, and that would make things so much more convenient. <laughs> <laughs> but I really encourage you, if, you've, if you uh, are listening to this episode, definitely check out Sartage's, um you know, uh, f- film blog because you are such an articulate and a deep thinker. Um, and I've loved reading your blog posts. So definitely check those out if you were listening to the show um, because you'd be doing yourself a disservice by not reading it, especially your breakdown of Last Jedi was just um, as someone who has continuously struggled to, to really enjoy the movie. And again, I don't think it's a bad movie and I don't hate it. But it's still not. It's still far from my favorite of the Star Wars. I appreciate someone like you who did love it so much, and you can bring such an intelligent perspective as to why it works so beautifully as a Star Wars movie. So I loved reading your words about it because it made me like the movie more. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you, thank you again for having me on. And I, with what you've just said, I want to leave a passing thought. Actually, okay. Okay, so in The Last Jedi, when Luke tosses the lightsaber, it's an act of defiance. And when was the last time he committed an act of defiance? When he tossed the lightsaber and said to Emperor Palpatine, I'm a Jedi like my father. You failed, Your Highness. Yeah. That's awesome. Yes. I like that. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) Sartaj, can you go ahead and give everybody the uh, the link to your website one more time before we wrap yeah. this up? Yes, so that is sgsonfilm.net, and I should be back in the next week with hopefully a review of Ready Player One. Ooh, Ooh. I enjoyed that movie, so I look forward to that. Um, Carl, we got a matchup for next episode want to remind everybody what that is yes because uh because of the time zone conflict we were recording on a sunday very early um so we did not get time to put up on social media our matchup of yoda versus luke so be sure to check that out on our social media in the upcoming week and weigh in for the next episode yes and this is a force duel between empire strikes back yoda last jedi luke so. yes Yes, middle act, middle act Jedi Masters. <laughs> yes, exactly. And Carl, if people want to weigh in on the matchup or comment on anything on this episode, where can they do that? Um, obviously on Twitter, you can follow us at Wampuslayer. Um, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. You can send us emails at Podcast at gmail.com. And if you, like Sartage, would like to be on the episode and would love to bring a topic to bear, uh, head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. Yes. Thank you, everyone, so much. Anything else that you two have to add before we close this down? I do not. All right. <laughs> well, thank you. Neither do I. I don't have a Star Wars line. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. 
thank you everyone for listening so much to this episode of the Wampus Their Podcast. It's been episode number 296, Jedi Sliding. For Carl and Sartaj, I'm Jason, and we will see you next time here in the Wampus Lair.